You're listening to Witch Wednesdays, your weekly podcast source for all things witchcraft in the modern world. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph, and I have a guest here with me today. We are going to have a fun chat about her book and her storied life, Uh, but I'm going to first let her introduce herself and let you know where you can find her online if you'd like to connect. Okay. Um, I'm Letitia Latham-Jones. I've lived in Cornwall for 14 years now. Um, I had a connection with it from childhood and always wanted to live here. So as soon as I got the opportunity to do so, I moved down and It's been a very interesting journey, I must say. (laughs) I have never been, but I hear such wonderful stories about Cornwall and its magic. Oh, yeah. And they're all true. It must just be amazing to live there with so much energy. Yes, it's challenging, but (laughs) at the same time, amazing things happen. So, Well, I would love to let the listeners know uh, what your your book is and your story that you wrote in there, because that is a fascinating topic. Right. The reason I called it Be Careful What You Wish For is because it's something that Cassandra often said to me, and it's something that I've also learned for myself, because I think there are so many people, and also when I work with clients, they want things in their life they want love they want money and I think they visualize it to happen in a certain way but these things do not happen in the way you expect and so it's right to be very careful what you wish for and be prepared for any outcome really of the way that your wish could be granted so that's the reason for the title of it but what it is it's about my lifelong connection with Cornwall from childhood from when I came down on vacations with my parents um, and also my spiritual journey because I was raised in a strict religious organization and I got out of that when I was 16 and just didn't look at any religion for a long time but it was in my 30s that I started to think about my mortality and you know, what was out there. So I started to do my own research on different paths, different spiritualities, and also with the witchcraft side of things, I was taught that the occult and witchcraft was evil. But it was only after visiting the Museum of Witchcraft and reading about the tortures that people who were supposedly Christian had done to these people that they accused of witchcraft I then thought, who are the evil people here, you know, with the experiences that I read. So then I thought, well, maybe it's not as evil as they are saying it is. And that was what gave me the actual courage to look into it all. And by exploring that, I've explored explored a lot of different, you know, methods, paths, opinions. And I've come to my own conclusions on what spirituality is all about and what religion is all about. And in the book, I tell different stories of all the experiences I've had, whether it's psychic, witchcraft, I've done Egyptian magic, Gardnerian, Alexandrian, and spirit mediumship. And all those different 
things that can happen to you when you actually open your mind up to them. And I've had some extraordinary experiences that I thought it would be good to share with others who are also searching for what they believe in. Yeah, your story is, you know, very interesting. And I think a, a lot of people have that sort of awakening and opinion when they were raised in those strict religious backgrounds. But yours, yours, I think, was particularly uh, strict and intense the way that you were raised. Yes, yes, it was. And I always felt there was something else. You know, it was very sort of, they were telling me one thing, but I was feeling something else and they didn't sort of blend together. And you couldn't talk about them because you were forbidden to talk about other beliefs, other religions and things. So you kept your feelings to yourself. And that's what I did for a long time. Although I saw my own mother fight against her Romany background and her deep down, she believed in things like fairies and stuff, but she was telling us not to believe in them. And so I could see the sort of inner fight that she had at the time when she was trying to conform to a religion because she thought it helped her. But there was things that she'd grown up with that she was trying to deny. So, so that was difficult for her. It is really hard when the way that you are being taught does not match with what you are actually seeing and believing in the world. Exactly. Yes, that's right. And also when you're taught to be different to others as well like at school you were different and you know so friendships weren't the usual friendships you'd have with children because they always knew that you had different beliefs and you didn't celebrate Christmas you didn't celebrate birthdays and things like that so it did it set you apart from a lot of people and you have gone on then to become a you know, qualified counselor to specifically yes. use your own experience has that has that shaped the clients that you treat and help I know that you specialize in domestic violence sexual abuse assisting former cult members yeah well crisis and trauma counseling covers a lot of things you know it covers bereavement as well as you know, things like family problems and all the things that you'd get as a wise woman when clients come to you, they come to you about all these things as well. So the counselling comes to the fore then when, you know, you, you get approached with these subjects from others. Yeah, and your, your background, I think, probably helps them a lot because you really understand where people are coming from. Well, that's right, you know, with the type, because obviously Jehovah's Witnesses is an American religion, as is like Mormon, Scientology, all those. I think they're all, all under the same umbrella, really, um, although their beliefs can vary. Um, so in America, you've got a lot of counsellors that help people that are shunned and as we say disfellowshipped and they've got no one to turn to because they weren't taught the social skills and how to function in the outside world 
So when they leave these religions, they're totally isolated and they reach out for help. But in one way, they don't know how to because they were so restricted. But in America, I've seen quite a few counsellors that are there for people. But in UK, you haven't got so many. So it's good to have a few of us here that can help because up to 50% of people that are shunned commit suicide because they've got no one to turn to. So you want to be there to hopefully help them move on in their lives and to show them that you've moved on in yours so it is possible. And, you know, you can save some lives in the process. Yeah, I think that is very important work that you are doing. And I think it's great that your book can be a resource for people that are coming down that same path. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'd love to jump into chatting about what your life and work is like in Cornwall. I don't know if all of my listeners know this, but you were taught and you work with Cassandra, who is considered the first witch in the UK, like first registered witch. I, th- I find that fascinating. Well, well yeah, for for um, tax purposes, that was yeah. for when she started the business, yeah. Um, uh, yeah the, first, she, the first to, to put that down that. as her occupation, right? Yes. Well, you you have to register with the Inland Revenue to pay tax when you start your own business. And that's what she did. And she put down that she was a village witch and didn't really think anything of it. And then she realized she was the first one who ever did that. That's amazing. What a trailblazer. It is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) How did you meet and begin studying and how did she begin teaching you well I I moved to Cornwall because I had a constant calling to be here and I knew that I was meant to be here for some reason but didn't know what that was so I took the chance of moving down to find out Um, for the first six months nothing was really happening you know and I was saying to the gods look I'm here you've been calling me all this time what am I meant to be doing um and I'd networked I'd made a few friends down in Cornwall so it was one of them that phoned me up and said would you be prepared to train up as a teaser for an obios in West Cornwall because she knew that I'd done Morris dancing and she knew that I had pagan beliefs and that I was a dancer and I was fit as well. So she um, thought that I would be ideal for the role. And it, the extraordinary thing about it was that I'd gone to pagan conferences and I'd seen Cassandra there, but didn't sort of speak to her, but I knew that she was one of the organisers there. And I found her quite fascinating. And I was thinking about, you know, maybe trying to get to know her once I moved here. And then when I agreed to be the teaser for the Obios, then uh, my friend said, right, I will give your phone number to Cassandra. And I said, well, Cassandra's the teaser. And she said, yes, she'll be training you. So it was like it came to me instead of me having to go and find her. It was like the other way around. (laughs) And it was 
only after the interview of talking about, you know, training for the OBRs, that Cassandra also said she was looking for someone to hand on her wise woman business to. And so I thought, well, you know, I enjoy that type of work because I'd been doing um, work and helping people while I was in Kent. So I thought, yeah, I'll have a go at that as well. So, you know, she started to train me on both. That's amazing. And I've had extraordinary experiences, but they will not come out until the second book. So I'm not going to talk too much about those. Oh, no. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, but I would, I will love to read about all of that. It's that's so interesting. Oh, it's been amazing. It's been one hell of a journey. Really has. <laughs> I would love for you to explain a little bit about in, in sort of the tradition in Cornwall, what cunning craft is it what is folk craft because that is a little it's a little bit of a different definition there than it is here in America well I didn't know an awful lot about that side of it until I only knew about you know what it was like to work sort of when you went out in your garden and you use certain plants and and things and earthy stuff you know when when I worked on my own and I worked from instinct that's what I feel that is now is part of the folk craft that you do that just comes naturally and you know you, you don't it is it's all by intuition really that you, it's what you feel when you connect with nature um, but I, that's all I really knew about it at the time until I read um, the book about George Pickingill who and I was offered that book to read in my Alexandrian training and I thought wow this is really interesting you know it was about a cunning man who lived in a village and who saw clients and had his own methods of working and what the villagers thought about it you know when I read about there were um, 13 hares that used to gather in the graveyard and it was part of the shape-shifting and part of 13 people in a coven that would meet. And it was just that thinking, just imagine that, you know, you see 13 people and then there were hairs that gathered there as well. It's, it's just a real sort of energy of the unexplained. And you just think, wow, what it must be like to experience those things and be that close to nature that you can almost shapeshift into something else. So it was, it was quite an extraordinary man in the way, the way he worked and what others thought of him. And it was very, folk craft is more the peasant magic. It's what people with not a lot of money do. So when they worked for clients, there would be a trade of some sort. You know, maybe if say, a wise man or a woman did work for a client and they were farmers they could sort of pay them by giving them a sack of potatoes things like that so it wasn't always about money you know there were other exchanges that could happen so it's it's the very earthy side of witchcraft and the people um that work in it do have very earthy personalities as well <laughs> you get some really interesting characters <laughs> But it's working with the land and here it's also working with the sea because we're so close to it 
So it's all those elements and you're very, very close to them. And, you know, I found out by working with Cassandra just how close to the element she was. And I had never seen that before, experienced that with anyone. But as I said, you'll find out more about that in the second book. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think being in touch with that earthy side and those elements has helped you in your psychic development? Um, the, the spirit, the psychic development is more to do with, um, people that have either gone to the spirit world, you know, loved ones in spirit. Um, and also, you know, more of the, is the intuition side. I would say, you know, with the psychic, obviously you work a lot from what you feel, and you can use your intuition, yes, with working with the land as well as the spirits, because you go to a sacred site and you can feel the ancestors there. You know, there was one time we visited Carnuni, which has got a fugu, like a beehive hut under the ground. And we sat in there one autumn equinox and just turned off any artificial light. And it was just dark you couldn't see anything and as we sat and we meditated I felt a circle of spirits in there and you almost felt like they wrapped themselves around you you felt very protected so in that way yes psychic can come to the fore in the fact that you can contact these spirits you can feel the ancestors there when you go to these sites very much so that's beautiful mm. I like that you have so many different things that you have studied and learned. I know that we all want to sort of do that. It's easy to get stuck on one path and get really, you know, great in one area and sort of ignore all of the other ones. So mm. I love that you have so many varied interests. Well, see, I was on a search. I was on a search for the for the old craft and I would explore different paths but I just sensed very quickly if something wasn't what I was looking for and I did not want to waste any time so once I realized that I would then move on and that is what my first book's about is about trying different things and then moving on to the next one when I felt that wasn't going down the path I was searching for so but at the same time, I collected a lot of experiences and there are still things from, you know, the different paths I've explored that have stayed with me and I've taken them with me and I still use them now in certain situations. So, so it's been good. It's not been a waste of time at all. No, I mean, it, I think it gives you a lot of life experience and I know that you do a lot of teaching and helping people. So I think that's great that you have so much background. Yeah, yeah, I do do. Um, I still teach um, Reiki courses and they are really good for people for, you know, their, their mind as well as their body. Um, and also I've helped a lot of people that have been terminally ill with it as well because it's a, it's a healing energy, yes, but it will help you through whatever you're going through in life at the time. 
And if it means that your life is coming to an end, it gives you a very peaceful passing. So it can help you in so many ways and easily become a part of your life too. So I think it's good to keep those things going because then, you know, you can teach people how to heal themselves, how to meditate because it has an extraordinary effect on the body. It really does. Is that something that you do personally every day in your life or regularly? Oh, I try to. (laughs) (laughs) My life is so busy. You know, it's actually setting the time aside because the thing is when you get into a routine with it and it helps to sort of balance you, you know, balance your mind, your body and and your energy field as well. Um, when, when you forget to do it, once you get into a routine, you do know about it because you won't feel the same. You get to the point where, you know, you need it really, especially when you're dealing with so many other people. Right. Mm. Now I know that you have so many different things that you are doing and, and working on each day. Do you still do any of the performance or Morris dance? I don't do Morris dancing. Um, it seems to be that down in Cornwall, there is some Morris dancing, but it's looked on more as an English pursuit more than Cornish. And people want to do all the Cornish, you know, the Cornish music. Um, there's Cornish dance as well. And obviously the obvious and the teaser is, yes, that's the real earthy Cornish stuff. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we dance with the obvious is a horse's skull. And there's a man underneath the dress that rides the horse. So they sort of dance and process with them. And you're the teaser that guides the horse. And you also perform with it to get it to do certain movements and everything. And of course, Cassandra trained me in that. And I've now got two other ladies that um, are teasers as well so that I can pass it on. Because it's always best to have someone a bit younger because you don't know what's how long you're going to be able to do it for and the tradition <laughs> is to continue you see so so yeah so it's still going well and that that seems like so so much fun and I do want to point out to listeners that you have a YouTube channel as well and you have shared some yes yeah great, some great videos of things so people could could look at this yeah and we've also got an amazing event that we run called the dark gathering that's in Boscastle near Halloween and we have a few Morris teams there that there's one from Devon, Beltane, they're with us every year but we also get um, other Morris teams from the UK and performance teams to come down and perform for the weekend so we try to sort of keep that different so we get a guest team every year so it you know it keeps the um, event fresh in that way because no one knows exactly what's going to happen each year, but yeah, and we also have the um, Welsh Mary Lloyds that are like our Obiosses, but the Welsh version of them, and they come down and meet us in Boscastle, and normally at the beginning of the year, at the time of the wassail, we will then take our Ross to Wales to meet with the Mary Lloyds there. So we've got that exchange where they visit us and we visit them. 
that is so fun and beautiful. We just don't have any, anything that regular here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been going, I think we've had about seven gatherings so far. So, cause it started in 2014 and it's continued since then with a gap of two years for the pandemic. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good event. And one time we had 1200 people in Boscastle for it. That's so, huge. That's a huge event. Yeah, for a little village, it is a huge event. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so it takes a lot of organising and sorting out, as you can imagine, to keep that going and to try to keep it so that the village isn't like overwhelmed by it as well. So, <laughs> mm. so then do you find that in, I mean, I, I think Cornwall is very progressive, but do you find that in these villages and places you go that they are very opening, open and welcoming, or is it still a little worry of, of witchcraft and Wiccan practices? Um, well, I find that in, in this village, in St. Burian, they've been very accepting of it. Um, you know, obviously you get your sort of old school religious people that are a bit wary I suppose because of what they've been taught but there are others it's like we had about five years ago we had a um a reverend canon female um called Vanda and she worked with us with clients you know we did house blessings with her and she was very accepting. She came to visit us first when she moved into the village. And she said she'd like to work with us. And we got on very well with her. And we do miss her because she's moved away now. But um, but yeah, we, we had a good time in the five years she was here. And yeah, she's, she's more accept. You felt like you could sort of approach the church and she didn't judge anyone that's the thing she wasn't a sort of person that would like as soon as she heard the word witchcraft would judge you for it she was very open to talking about it and very sort of curious and she told us her birthday was on Halloween <laughs> which oh. was great. <laughs> so yeah so you know you've got um, you've got some clergy that are more open-minded than others and we're fortunate in this village as well that you know the majority of people are accepting and we go to the church on Christmas Eve where, where they have the midnight mass and the vicar gives a blessing there and because we work in the community Cassandra said to me it's important to get a blessing from them because we're all working together at the same thing so and it also shows them that we acknowledge their beliefs even though we've got our own way of looking at things so yeah I think it's good for community to work in that way I agree that sounds lovely mm. I would love to ask you if you have any advice for anyone listening that is a beginner just starting on their path, particularly if they came from a religious cult background? Um, well, I, I would say that to be, be careful for a start, um, I think my background actually helped me because I was able to quickly recognize 
um, cultish behavior because you, you get it in all groups, whether it's performance groups, friendship groups, religious groups, you know, you can get that where the people who run things can get a bit hooked on the power, if you know what I mean, and they're, they oh, could yeah. ask too much of you. So I think in that way, my background helped me because I was able to recognize that. But then with some others, they may think, well, we're supposed to do this because that's how a coven is run or, you know, and when they haven't had the experience. So I would tell them to be very careful. Um, there are, I have got on my, um, on my counseling website, I have got a checklist for cult behavior and it's got a list of things you need to look out for. And I would suggest that people took note of the list and because it's a good checklist to have if you're, you know, networking and things and getting involved in groups. And it could sort of help you maybe find out before, because sometimes people don't find out until they're in too deep. And it may help, you know, on first meetings and getting to know people to have that list so that they can be pre-warned rather than go along with it and find out when it's too late. So, yeah, I would recommend that. Um, I'd also, it's like when I, I was warned by someone that there's a lot of space cadets out there and boy, you, you meet, you do meet some space cadets <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to sort of find your way. Um, yeah. And also, as Cassandra says, keep your bullshit detectors well polished. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's also that. Because it's so confusing these days for people. There's so many books out there with people saying this is the way you should do it. And some books contradict others. So I do, I feel sorry for people who are trying to find their way now because it is much more confusing than it used to be um, with all the, all, the different, um, all the different opinions out there. And a lot of people write books saying this is the way it's done when it actually isn't. And it, it's just trying to find, you know, in the end, it's how you feel, you know, in yourself, the right way to go. You use instinct. And I would say um, connect more with your ancestors and the spirits of the land. And they will tell you that they will show you the way rather than actually go by the book of what someone's written, try things out for yourself. Because your intuition is the best thing, really, to rely on, I would say. That is all wonderful advice that I agree with completely, because everyone has opinions, but opinions are not fact. No. <laughs> really? No, <not> at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to sort of search these things out for yourself. And I appreciate that you have that cult behavior checklist. I think that is so important because you're right. That can come up in absolutely any group. That's right. That's very true. Listeners, I will have that linked over in the show notes as well. So you can check that out because that's, that is something that it's very easy to get sucked in and very difficult when you are too far along the path and trying to get out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, very true. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story. And I am I'm very much, your first book is amazing. Such great information. I'm very much looking forward to your second book. <laughs> great. <laughs> You're going to have so many great stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, certainly is. <laughs> can't wait. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. That's lovely. Thank you for having me. And listeners, again, I will have everything linked. And that's everything that I have for you this week. I will see you next week. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Need even more? Subscribe to Patreon and YouTube for exclusive bonus content. Order a themed witchcraft box every month through Witch Wednesdays on Etsy. Be sure to follow on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast. Find all these links and more at witchwednesdays.com.